Welcome, everybody, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're fresh off a 23-17, to guess what? Guess what? Loss, right? Sound familiar? Does it sound familiar at this point? 2-11. and 11. Every week I just yell this, I just yell the record. It's just at a loss each week. 2 and 8, 2 and 9, 2 and 10, 2 and 11. Oh boy. Oh boy. Save me, save me. Nine straight losses the Giants have. That ties a franchise record set in 1976. Nine straight losses. Oh boy. And you know what? You watch this one. The Giants really looked like they were going to win this game pretty much the whole game. They lost in overtime eventually. You all know what happened. You watched. After the game, right? After the game, Pat Shermer's up there. He's on the podium. And for the first time, really, you just felt like it was a dead man walking up there. I mean, seriously. That's what it felt like. It felt like there was a dead man walking. Up at the podium. Here's Pat Shermer's comments after the game, right? Pat Shermer was asked if he was going to finish out, if he thought he'd be given the chance to even finish out the season. Mind you, this is year two of a five-year contract. Year two of a five-year contract. And he's asked if he's going to finish out the season. He says, yeah, I do. We'll just have to see, won't we? We'll just have to wait and see, won't we? I mean, he that's, it sounds like a guy who inevitably knows he's getting fired. And when you talk to people around the league, and this is what I tweeted out, expectations around the league are that Shermer won't survive this mess. That's people that know him. That's from people that know him. That's from people that know how the Giants operate. So expectation around the league is that he won't survive. And also, that Dave Gettleman is in trouble. That's right. I mean, that's what people around the league, people who some people who know the Giants, some people who are talk to the decision makers. This is what they think. They think that this, this they're going to blow out everybody. That Steve Tisch has reached his boiling point. Right. And a guy who has been loosely, I mean, he's involved, right? Like when he, he sits down and does like a meet and greet with the candidates and stuff, but he's not the guy who's there for the every day. He's not the guy who's in the office and is handling the day to day operations of the Giants, the business side of the Giants. But he's in the way, you know, in Hollywood half the time, he's getting embarrassed. So he's letting, you know, the Maras run, John run it. And it's it's not going well. They're they're joke they're they're a joke right now, basically, right? They're two and eleven. We're talking about at least the on field product. That Steve Tisch is gonna throw his weight around and say, Look, we need to blow everybody out. We need to make these changes. We need to go. We need to get rid of the GM. We need to get rid of the coach. This is what we need to do. We need to move into the twenty first century twenty first century, be more progressive. Because that's the reality. Steve the Mara is very conservative in nature, in general. And I'm not talking political here. I'm talking general, in nature, how they operate, how they think. Steve Tisch, much more progressive, open. 
So I think that will be kind of well received. And I think when all said and done, the Giants are going to have a new coach and a new general manager. I really do. I really do. Now we'll have to see how it all plays out in the end. It looks like Eli Manning, he started on Monday night against the Eagles. There were flashes of old Eli, vintage Eli, a little bit early. But then we saw Eli from the last three or four years, right? The second things get off schedule, the second he gets pressured, the offense shuts down. It's three and out, punt, three and out, punt, can't make plays, can't make plays, can't make plays. Now when he's protected, when everything's perfect, when he's allowed to use that brain, because look, Eli Manning has seen things and seen defenses that most quarterbacks will never see in their life. He can read stuff at the line of scrimmage, make calls, make checks, know where to throw the ball before he even snaps it. And when everything works out right and he's able to do that and he sees something at the line where he can make a quick throw, he can still make those throws. But the second it breaks down, it breaks down and he the play is dead. And that's where the Giants were the other night. Now, likelihood, we're sitting here on Wednesday afternoon. Daniel Jones returned to practice in a limited capacity Wednesday. But he's still not 100%. He still has room for improvement. The Giants have left open the possibility he returns and plays this week, but that's probably not going to happen. You're going to be careful. They're going to sit there and be careful. Play it safe and cautious with the franchise quarterback. Why wouldn't you? You're 2-11. You're playing the Miami Dolphins. It's set up. Eli can make one last home start here. Here we go. Easy enough. Everybody's happy. You play it safe with Daniel Jones. You hold him out another week. Look, if this was a play, they were in the playoffs. Daniel Jones might have been able to play last week for God's sakes. Probably would be able to play the, probably would be able to play this week. Now last week would have been a stretch. He probably, he wouldn't have been 100%. He has this ankle sprain, but that's not the situation they're in. They're in a situation right now. Remember Saquon Barkley also. Remember Saquon Barkley came back from that high ankle sprain? And then he sat there and practiced for like three weeks. The Giants didn't rush him back because of the situation they were in and, they were in and everything. And he, the severity of his injury just wasn't necessary. Same here. No reason to push it. Could Daniel Jones probably play this week? When all said and done, the answer is probably yes. But why? Why do they need to do that? 2-11. and 11. Bring him back for the final two games. Perfect. Get Eli one home game. His friends probably, his family, they'll all be there. They'll see his his final game as a starter for the Giants at, at MetLife Stadium. His former teammates will probably come out and storm like they almost did. Remember, they they, they uh, threatened to, to all be there on the sideline in his jersey when uh, he got benched. They came back home for that game. So... Yeah, that is kind of where I think we're going to be at this week. You're going to have one more Eli Manning start, kind of a goodbye going away, wave to the fans, everybody cheers him, thanks for the memories, Eli. Because look, good times. There were good times. Two Super Bowls worth of good times. So that's probably how that's going to play out. Now one other thing I wanted to mention before we get to a guest here, we got a top-notch guest, the man, the myth, the legend. South Pal Antonio. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But before I get to that, there's one other thing I wanted to mention. We saw something on Monday night 
Janars ja- Janars Jenkins. Jackrabbit, as he likes to refer to himself. He says, I mean, he didn't say, they played him in the slot the other day. So it was interesting, right? Because they got Sam Beal on the field. They got uh, DeAndre Baker on the field. And they removed Janars Jenkins in the slot. Now, some people say, why... Why so late? Why did it take so long to make moves like these and try different things like this? Here's what I'll say about that. And I know this because I had heard it prior to week one. Week one, the Giants had contemplated and wanted to move Janaris Jenkins into the slot a little bit. This is something they worked on in the summer. But they just couldn't get it to do They couldn't do it. They couldn't get to that point where they felt comfortable enough with the players around them to be able to do that. That's the limitations that this team has had. They have things that they wanted to do. They just didn't have the personnel to even pull it off. Think about it for a second. The Giants did not even want to start DeAndre Baker and play him extensively in week one last this year. So much so that Antonio Hamilton was splitting time with him and starting actually in week one. They, they they were looking for anything like they they just don't have the personnel and talent back there to do what they want. They run basic zones and they blow coverage. You know, I mean, the way they lost to the Eagles. I'll talk about this one play real quick. That's just mind boggling, mind boggling. Okay, they get to the line of scrimmage. And on Zach Ertz is on this one side of the field with, I think it was two other receivers. Okay. This is off a timeout. And on this side of the field for the Giants, they're in a heavy personnel, the Eagles, because it's uh goal line. And the Giants have in that side in coverage, uh, potential coverage, uh, Alec Ogletree is the middle linebacker, Mike Thomas is the safety, and Dayon Buchanan is another linebacker. And... The Eagles have no receivers left. Nobody. I mean, they're playing a bunch of jabronis out there. Don't even know their name. Seriously. Nobody even knows who they are. And guess what? Okay? They don't even cover Zach Ertz. The only guy at the Eagles that you should even respect. Nobody goes near him. I don't know what the heck Alec Ogletree was doing. He didn't cover anybody. He didn't even drop in coverage. He just stood in no man's land. Mike Thomas went out to the flat. Not not the flat. He went. He, he you know he covered the the side in the end zone, and then uh, Deion Buchanan covered the flat. And Zach Ertz, who should be double triple covered in any these situations because he is the Eagles' best receiver by seventeen miles, doesn't get covered at all. Not even at all. Just laughable. And it makes me wonder, like. Alec Ogletree is a veteran middle linebacker. Isn't he the guy who's supposed to be helping guys get lined up left and right and making the cover? I mean, he was, he, oh, he was bad the other day. Really bad. And it makes me wonder what the heck is going on with this team. I mean, that was just bad. Really bad to end the game. Like, he was open. Don't even within five yards of him. Can't make it hard for them. Made it easy for them to win the game. Easy. And, of course, you want to stop him and make him kick a field goal there. You need two stops from the, the three-yard line, whatever it was. Make him kick a field goal, 
and then at least you get the ball back. Two-yard pass. But no, it was like easy money. Candy from a baby. Carson Wentz to Zach Ertz, who's open by 17 miles. Oh, boy. That's just epitomized the Giants' season. That whole game. What a mess. Seems in bad shape. Bad shape right now and needs to be fixed. So let's talk about it with our guest. On to the next one. All right, let's bring in our guest this week. We have a, a real legend here, uh, Sal Palantonio, uh, ESPN reporter, covered numerous Super Bowls. How, how many How many Super Bowls are we at now, Sal? Uh, 27 this year. Wow, 27 Super Bowls. So he's very familiar with uh, pretty much all the top quarterbacks, and that includes a quarterback he, I believe, has covered twice in the Super Bowl and numerous times throughout his career in Eli Manning. Also has produced maybe the best uh, post-game on-field interview of all time in the in the Bar Scott. Uh, can't wait. Do have you done anything better than that on-field, Sal? Or is, is that right there at the top? It's hard. It's hard for me to even imagine something better than that one. No, it led to T-shirts and memes and rap songs and a Bart Scott career <laughs> on television. There you go. Yeah, Bart Scott, who is in our market right here. Uh, so. Okay, so let's get to business here. You watched the Giants play the other day. You watched Eli Manning play the other day. What did you see? Well, at the beginning of the game, I I saw Eli Manning have uh, some velocity on his ball. He hung in there pretty good. I thought at the beginning of the game he didn't look like he wanted to get hit. And he was releasing the ball much quicker than he should have and missed some open receivers. But he had uh, a couple of deep balls, as you saw, of course, to the rookie from Auburn, and um, connected and got them to a lead. And then the Eagles went into a zone defense and started to blitz Eli behind it, excuse me, in front of it. And uh, the Eagles' defensive line was just too much for the Giants' offensive line. That pretty much shut things down. That sounds like a pretty familiar story, right? I mean, that that's sort of what it's been like for, I don't know, what, five, six years with these Giants and Eli? Just, you know, sit, sit back, play zone, and create pressure with four men, which you're able to do against the Giants line for a lot of time. Actually, you know what, Sal, ironically... When you go when we go back and watch it, the Giants run that flea flicker right in the second half, and you're like, "What are they doing running a flea flicker?" I think it was third and thirteen, or th- it was a third and long of some sort, and the play would have actually worked. They were the, Golden Tate was wide open down the middle of the field, but the Giants couldn't protect. The Eagles rushed three men on that play, and they still couldn't protect Eli. And that just seems to be to sum up how they've gone about building around him these last couple of years. So with and that shame on the Eagles, Jordan, because, you know, they should have realized early in the game that they didn't have to play man. Right. And they should, you know, uh, Jim Schwartz made a terrible mistake and their secondary just made a terrible mistake by allowing um, the wide receivers to get deep. I mean, that, that to me was, Darius Slayton, you knew that he was going to throw to Darius Slayton. Right, that's what he brings to the table. He's got that speed. So, I don't understand why they just didn't keep Slayton in front of him. And then they, the Eagles, you know, had to come back. They were down 17-3 to because they played, I thought, 
poor scheme and lack of communication, and then they kind of tighten things up. Something's wrong with Saquon Barkley. I mean, uh, he clearly is not 100%. That is definitely one of the things, I mean, that you could see when you say watch the Giants. Uh, He has zero 100-yard games running since he's, he's returned. Uh, but this is really the, the 2019 Giants for you. I mean, they you just said all those things about the Eagles, and they still were able to beat this team. I mean, that just goes to show you where the Giants are. How do you see this shaking out, right? You have Pat Shermer, who you know very well from your time in Philadelphia, uh, from, time, from his time in Philadelphia, and Dave Gettleman. I mean, do you think that the Giants would be willing to move on from Pat or should move on from Pat at this point? Well, he seems resigned to his fate at this point. Yeah, he does. You know, he sounded like a guy who knows that the end is coming. Uh, The way he he reacted to the questions on, you know, after the Monday night game. So I'd be surprised if they brought him back. I really do. You can't lose that many games in a row. What is it, nine in a row? Nine in a row. They tied a franchise record. So, yeah, that doesn't, look, doesn't help you. They, they looked really bad doing it. I mean, you know, they had a chance to win Monday night, and they didn't. And, you know, they just, they're just a team that just doesn't have any energy. Yeah. Well, what do you, obviously, a lot of that goes towards the coach, right? I mean, that's part of his job, to make sure his team is up, his team is ready, and all the little things that the Giants seem to do wrong on a weekly basis. I wonder what you think about this. Um you look at Pat Shermer, right? And this is now two failed head coaching runs. Uh, granted, both those rosters, very flawed, right? This Giants roster right now, the Browns roster as well. But knowing him and knowing the way he is and the way he operates, do you think he's one of those guys that's probably better off as a, a coordinator than maybe a head coach? Well, I don't see how he's going to get another head coaching job for quite some time because of the lack of success in both Cleveland and New York. And I think you know teams will have a hard time selling to their fan bases that he is the answer if they fire their head coach and they decide, all right, let's bring in Pat Shermer to fix things. Right. I think you know, <laughs> the, the the job of the team is to sell tickets, and Pat the hiring Pat Shermer doesn't do that for you. So I don't know where he would go. <clears throat> Let's look at the teams that are possibly looking for head coaches at this point at the end of next season. Clearly, the Giants will be. Maybe the Cowboys most likely will say that. Washington Redskins will be on that list. Uh, you can maybe say Cleveland, but he's not going back there. Yeah, the Panthers. He's, he's not going to get another job. My, my thing was, do you think his personality is just better off? Do you think he's just better suited? to be a coordinator? You know, that's hard for me to judge. I don't know why, why. I really don't know what the man is like behind closed doors. Right. You know, all you can see is whether or not he's making the right decisions on game day as a head coach in terms of personnel and scheme and approach and whether or not he brings the, that kind of energy. You know, the proof, I mean, we hate to say it because it's like one of the oldest, most used cliches in our business and that's the Pope Parcells line that says you are what your record says you are. Yeah, and that's seven and twenty two right now with the Giants. Yeah. Is that Sherman? <clears throat> He's seven and twenty two. 
It's hard to escape that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had somebody say to me when he took the job originally that he was surprised that Pat would go this route, that maybe he was better off going to a different market. Because one of the things you had heard about him was that in Cleveland, he was letting all the, the talk around him get to him. And I, I think in a way, when you look at it in retrospect, that maybe he did make that mistake. That maybe he, he should have thought about some of the other jobs out there and that it might have been a better fit and that he just hasn't been the right fit in yeah, well, New York. Yeah, well, cry for Pat Shermer. He's made a lot of money. He's yeah. longevity in, in this business. He's going to get another job as a coordinator. And when he, yeah, I think the most important thing is what's going to happen next to the New York Giants. Uh, you know, we're talking about one of the top five Tiffany franchises in the NFL and maybe in all sports. You know, it's not cheap to go to a Giants game. They charge top, top dollar. Right. They charge Broadway seats. Kind New of York. Top dollar. And just to park there and get there and go to the games and the seat licenses. You, you know, you you can't have this kind of product and expect people to, to, to keep coming back over and over again. So they they got to do something quickly to fix it. The organization needs to understand that matter and fish need to understand that they need they need to be dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century in some areas clearly in terms of analytics and personnel they have to decide whether daniel jones is the guy how many turnovers does he have jordan he has 21 in okay. what uh 11 starts which, which is too many no 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 it's not too many it's completely unacceptable and it hasn't it hasn't improved I mean, if you look at that alone, take everything else away, because personnel have players have flaws. Players have flaws. But if you pick a quarterback six overall, and you say he's your franchise quarterback, and he has twenty-one turnovers and eleven starts, and it's not getting better, that's a big problem. That's a coaching problem. And that's a decision problem. So you bring this up, right? You say the Giants need to get into the 21st century in regards to analytics, in regards to personnel. There's still some questions on the quarterback. But as you mentioned, it's a top job. But do you think, given the, how much do you think, given the other points you just mentioned, that people do view it? You, you still think that it has that cachet? to potential candidates out there? Oh, absolutely. It's the New York market. They pay big. Um, you know, you ha you're you probably going to have the first or second pick in the draft. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, they got deep pockets. They've shown a willingness to spend. You got Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. Okay, maybe you figure out what, what you got to do to get the team to the next level and how long it's going to take before you take the job because there'll be other jobs available, Washington and Dallas. You know, to me, the number who's the number one candidate out there right now? Head coaching candidate. Available now. Proven head coach. Who is it? Ron Rivera? No, it's Urban oh. Meyer. Oh, okay. I thought you meant from, uh, absolutely. No, Urban, it's Urban, Urban Meyer. Ron, Ron Rivera is a good coach. 
But if you want to infuse your organization with a level of enthusiasm and energy and effectiveness and experience and production and a guy who's going to approach things differently from the start, it's Urban Meyer. Yeah. Giants fans, I would assume, I would think, if they heard the name Urban Meyer, would be very happy with that possibility. Oh, absolutely. They would be through the roof. And it's very intriguing, by the way. No, no, Urban Meyer. So Urban Meyer is going to be in high demand in Dallas. Yep. Certainly in Washington, his quarterback is there. His former quarterback, his former wide receiver are there. But, you know, if I'm Urban Meyer and I have the opportunity to work for the Maras in New York, Jerry Jones in Dallas, or Daniel Snyder in Washington, if I look at all three of those situations, I pick New York. I pick New York. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I pick New York for a lot of reasons. First of all, Why? it's New York. Second of all, um, you know, you you have an ownership that's much less hands-on. You don't have the dysfunction of Washington. You can do your thing in New York without worrying about your owner having a press conference after each game, giving you an evaluation of how you did. I mean, I take New York hands down easy if I'm Urban Meyer. They're going to pay. And you'll, you'll, you will rule. I mean, Urban Meyer will create a, a, a TV show for every press conference. ESPN will be there all the time. Absolutely. I'm in. Fox will be there all the time. <laughs> I mean, that to me is the, it, it is absolutely the way to go. I mean, that's the way to, to rejuvenate your fan base for sure. Oh my gosh. Absolutely, Jordan. And not only you, and, and, you know, with all due respect to Mr. Gettleman, you got to give Urban Meyer full absolute control because that's what he had at Ohio State. You're not pussyfooting around. Right. You're bringing this guy in and he's the guy. He's your Nick Saban. He's your Bill Belichick. You give him full control and you say, fix this. I like it. Very intriguing. I mean, certainly this team needs that kind of juice to rejuvenate the fan. Look, their last two coaching hires were Ben McAdoo and Pat Shermer. And then you, you, if you bring in a guy like Urban Meyer, I mean, just think about the disparity between those. You know, th- th- that's like a different level, a different class. So I think it would be very well received. One last one here, Sal. I know you know Eli Manning very well. You've interviewed him, I don't know how many times, probably close to 100 times. In your- uh, not that many, but I interviewed him on the day he was drafted. For real? And, uh, and I interviewed him on the, the day he... You know, he he entered his last training camp, so that's that's a pretty good, sizable chunk uh, sample size. I, you know, I I I'll just give you this before you answer your question. Yeah, go ahead. I have a tremendous respect for Eli Manning more uh, and more than any other player I have ever covered ever in any sport. Period. Paragraph. Next sentence. Why is that? I'm I'm curious. Why do you say that? Always available. Always answer questions. Yes, he does. Complete gentleman at all times. Mm-hmm. Win or lose. Approachable. Uh, good guy. Fun to talk to. Interesting. I mean, I could go on. Yeah. Family man. Absolutely. All of the above. And oh, by the way, two-time Super Bowl MVP. And, you know, uh, I'm one of the 46 selectors at the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. I'm voting for Eli Manning, first ballot Hall of Fame. Why? 
He deserves it. Okay. He won a Super Bowl two times. They, they don't win those two Super Bowls without Eli. I know people want to talk about the pass rush in the first one, but his heroics in that game were critical. Yeah, he was great in both those runs from start to finish. That's really, I mean, I, I get that's both sides of the argument. Right there. Yeah. What else, that's the argument. What else do you need? I realize he's under 500, but boy, oh boy, just look at what he's had to work with. Yeah, the backhand he, of his career, they they really they really just didn't give him a, a fair chance to be successful no, they overall. Didn't. They really no, didn't. They didn't put a good team around, a good enough team no, around. No, they didn't, and it's sad because he they wasted the last four or five years. Well, four, let's say three to four years of his career. Right. You know, he probably could have lasted as long as Drew Brees. Look at what Drew Brees has to work with. That's they got a good team. Kareem they got a real Hunt, good team. Uh, not Kareem Hunt. Um, Kamara. Alvin Kamara. Yeah. Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas. The tight ends that have come through there. Sean Payton, one of the best play designers and callers in the history of the NFL. You know, it was interesting. Monday night, Tom Condon was there. I don't know if you saw him, his agent. I did. I was going to ask you about that because it was his wife, Tom Eli's wife, Tom Condon, that group around there. What you made of all that, them being there, and his, and where where everything goes from here? I just don't know, but Condon, I think Condon thinks that there's a, still a market for Eli. But I don't think that Eli wants to wear another uniform. I really don't. Hmm. I never, I, I've never flat out answered, asked him that question. At some point, somebody will, but I just don't get the sense that he wants to he wants to do that. You know, you know you say that Archie has told me that on multiple occasions. In his opinion, he that Eli never told him this, but in his opinion, and he's told me this probably 3 4 5 times over the years. In his opinion, he didn't ever see Eli Manning wanting to go and wear another jersey or wearing another jersey in his career rather than the no. Giants. Now, what will Eli do? I think he goes into broadcasting. I actually think really? he'd be a good broadcaster. You yes. think he would do that? You think he'd want to do that? Sure. Huh. What else would he do? I don't Stock know. Market? What? I mean, you know, he's got to do something. I'll probably, he might join his brother and do something like ESPN Plus on maybe somewhere else, maybe on Amazon or Apple or something. I could see him I mean, using you know, that sense of humor. Remember, like he was on Saturday Night Live yeah. and using that with Peyton. Yeah, I could see that. You know, by the way, again, nobody's crying for Eli. He's got two Super Bowl trophy, uh, MVPs. He's got a beautiful family. And he's made more money yep. than any other player <laughs> in NFL history. That's pretty good. The most. Ever. Yeah, I know. It's a $252 million in player contracts. It worked out so that he was in the position to get three mega deals, right? Because he was still one of those rookies at the time you could the rookie number one pick can basically negotiate anything, right? Yeah. So we so got one of those. I, I don't cry two for more Eli. Of I think Eli's yeah, had a great career. He should be in the Hall of Fame. If if you're asking me my opinion, I would if I were him, I would do what he's told his father that he's gonna do. Retire as a giant, stay in North Jersey, be feted and honored for the next five years do some stuff like his brother's doing, and be a good dad. And you know the Giants, he'll always be part of that Giants family. Oh, my and God, And they, yes. they would welcome him to do him to do whatever they want and keep him close. They keep guys close to the organization like Justin Tuck, you know, Mark Herzlig, these guys. Jonathan Casillas is a guy I even had on recently. He's He was just, he was a captain for two years. They keep him close to the organization. Victor Cruz is around a lot, even though it didn't end well for him. So, 
Yeah, Eli Manning would be welcomed in absolutely with open well, arms the best, as well. The best, to my mind, the, the best three organizations in the NFL are the Giants and the Ravens and the Eagles. Those three. Well, the one thing is that the, the the one team is needs to get it right on the field, though. That's the Giants. So they gotta they gotta get that part of it figured out. They were they were rolling for quite a while, but the last few years it has not gone as well, and they're gonna have to fix that. But Sal, that was very insightful. I appreciate it very much. Thank you very much for coming on. Push that Urban Meyer thing, man. It makes sense. It does make a lot of sense. I, I, you know what? You're going to make a lot of people happy with that suggestion, too. I'm telling you. <laughs> Fans are going to be should, on should, board. You, Sal Pal leading the charge. You should tweet it out. <laughs> listen to the podcast. Listen, listen to who Sal Palantonio says should be the head coach of the Giants. There we go. See, Sal, this is why This is why when, I, when he came on, what did I say? Legend right there. Legend. <laughs> Right, Thanks a lot, Sal. On to the next one. Ah, uh, yes. Let's turn the page now and get to one of my favorite segments of this podcast. It's the part where I answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in Giants After Dark. We're going to start with a question from Dennis McConkey at McConkey underscore Dennis. On Twitter says, when is Mara and Tish going to get rid of Shermer and GM, meaning Dave Gettleman? What are they waiting for? Well, here's what I'll say about that. There's really not a huge benefit of getting rid of them right now, right? I mean, what do you need to get rid of them for with four games left in the season, three games left in the season? So I don't think there's a real rush. I think the Giants in general want to make informed unemotional decisions, right? So in order to make informed, unemotional decisions, they would like to wait till the season ends, take a few minutes, sit down, talk. Now, I'm not sure that's entirely possible. They might have to do it a week or two before the season's over to sort of get that process moving because there's other teams that might get that process moving, like the uh, Carolina Panthers already did, like the Washington Redskins can because they don't have a head coach in there right now. So... They may be forced to do it, but at the moment, I don't think it's absolutely necessary. Because you have to understand, if they're interested in a candidate, let's say Urban Meyer, as Sal suggested, they should be. Okay? Then guess what? There's the overtures that can be made behind the scenes, underneath the surfaces, and they can get that ball rolling already. So I I don't think it's necessary to be doing these things just yet. I mean, let the season play out. Keep him in there. Don't overhaul the team, you know, the team so that at least they could play the last few games and have a coach. Like, what's, what are they going to do if they switch up? Like, you know, have a Mike Shula running the show and we're making some changes in week 16 or 17, whatever it is. Thomas McGahee, who knows? So, all right. Next question from Instagram. LK Surency says, do you believe Belichick would be interested in a GM head coach role with the Giants? Could Mara Tish pry him away? And I will say very strongly, no. No. Like, what I, what planet are people living on in general where they think that Bill Belichick, after watching where the Giants are and have been, is going to want to leave New England after where they are 
and have been. And look, I'm not picking on you for your question. I, I've gotten this many times. I don't think the affinity that everybody thinks Bill Belichick has for the Giants organization. Now, he has the affinity for the Giants organization of the past that he used to be part of, right? And while there are some similarities, you're talking about Wellington Mara. That's a guy, that, that was, you know, Bill's guy. He's not there anymore. There's different people running the team. They're not running it in an effective way right now, right? So I don't think Bill Belichick would want to get himself into that. Like the reasons that Sal mentioned the Giants are prime and premium job aren't really reasons that would lure Bill Belichick. And I've said, I've mentioned this before, but you've even, you've even heard to the point where Bill Belichick doesn't have a ton of respect for the way the Giants organization is run at this point that he even might have mentioned to his coordinators uh, who were out there last time, McDaniels and Patricia, that this wasn't a great spot for somebody to go and take over. So, yeah, Bill Belichick to the Giants. I'm going to give it a hard no, not happening. I'd be stunned if it did, and you could tell me how dumb I am if it does, and I think a lot of people would be really surprised. So there we go. Uh, Next question. What do you think about Greg Roman as a head coach and his ability to adapt the scheme around players on the roster? I like Greg Roman's offense. He did it in San Francisco. He did it here. I mean, not here, but in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. But I'm not crazy about Greg Roman as a head coach. It just seems to me that Greg Roman is the kind of guy, and I don't know him personally. There's something about it, though, that just tells me from talking to people about him around the league that he's best made to be a coordinator. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some guys, that that's what they do well. That's what he does. He sits there on the napkin and draws out, uh, you know, offensive plays and uh, offenses that that fit the, you know, the, the, the players around him. And, you know, that's great. But at the same time, you need people who are going to lead men, who are going to stand up there, at the front of the room and build a program and get everybody working in the right direction and uh, worrying about every little detail that matters on Sundays. Like Bill Belichick has his team prepared for every possible situation, which I think right now might be the biggest downside of Pat Shermer. They just don't seem prepared for all these little minute uh, unexpected situations and they don't operate effectively in them so next one we got tim at real tim shady 84 he says it's true that mike frances is the leading candidate to for the giants soon to be vacant head coaching position i'll hang up and listen well tim i'm sure if you ask mike francesa he probably would think he's the best candidate for that job but uh yeah i don't see that one happening anytime soon think that's uh tongue-in-cheek i i know that's tongue-in-cheek but yeah Okay, thanks for the question anyway. Young B at Mall Mall Season 11. Mall Season 11. How does the rest rest of the league feel about Daniel Jones at the moment? That's an interesting question. Because for the most part, I talk to people, and they seem to think Daniel Jones has a chance. They like what they see. The turnovers, which Sal mentioned before, while they're a huge problem, most people seem to think they're fixable. Uh, There's fumbling is, is something that... Uh, guys can be fit, can fix. It's a sort of like a physical thing at times. And then the interceptions thing is sort of like a young quarterback thing. So 
there's that. But I've also talked to people who just think he's probably, you know, going to be okay. They don't see greatness. They don't see his talent level uh, being special. They don't see the special qualities. They see good qualities, not not a ton of special qualities. And uh, someone even told me uh, they prefer Sam Darnold over him recently, uh, an executive around the league. So I think it's a little mixed, but I think what we do see is that his floor, and I mentioned this before, and everyone I talk to seems to agree with this, his floor is is average, slightly above average quarterback, which is pretty good because you can you consider the amount of people that fail. At JMT Bro, he says, so the Giants cut Jack Rabbit, who's Janoris Jenkins, over his tweets today. Uh, yeah, he used uh, a word you probably, not probably, but you should never use uh, shooting back at fans. And look, it's just this is who Janoris Jenkins is at this point, right? We know who he is, okay? We've been here for, for a while. We've been in this spot for a while now. The, he, there's incidents that pop up. He, he shoots his mouth off uh, against... Terrell Pryor after a game out of nowhere. He tells James Betcher he should be following guys around. He His effort at times can clearly be questionable on tackles. You know what? Should he be cut? No. I mean, should he be reprimanded, maybe fined for his actions, for tweeting and then tweeting something that was completely inappropriate to a fan? Sure. But is it grounds to be... Cut? No, I don't think so. But it is interesting because you think, okay, Dave Gettleman comes and preaches culture, culture, culture. And this is the guy. I mean, I would have bet a lot of money that this didn't work out this way. This was the guy that made it. He's the one who lasted. Janaris Jenkins, whose effort at times has been questioned. I mean, when things went poorly, there's times where his tackling definitely wasn't going 100%. And should we forget a body was found in his basement. And his brother is accused of killing his friend. But somehow, culture-wise, Dave Gettleman did a full rebuild, and this is the guy that lasted. Complete upset. I would have put a lot of money on the against that. If Dave Gettleman was going to clear house for culture purposes and a last person standing with P. Janaris Jenkins. How about that? It's really... It's really fun. It's really kind of comical to believe that that's the way it panned out. Last question. The real Ryan Fish asks, if Jordan was GM, give me one draft pick, one free agent, and one trade that you think would make the Giants better this offseason. All right. Well, I'm going to start real easy. The Giants need pass rush. I mean, a difference maker on defense in any way, shape, or form. So bad. So Chase Young is the easy one. Give me the number two pick, Chase Young. Now, I would also be open to, especially if there's a market for teams that want quarterbacks, I would trade down if there, if that's, if that exists. You know, like the RG3 kind of team coming up to, wow, I want that quarterback with the number two pick. Joe Burrow goes one and I want two at number two. If that team exists, then the Giants should be trading down and getting as much as humanly possible for that pick if they, if they draft two. But otherwise, Chase Young is my pick. The free agent, Yannick Ngakwe. So now I got not one, I got two pass rushers. Legit pass rushers. Young pass rushers. And I'm going to build around those guys. All of a sudden my defense becomes infinitely better. Infinitely better. And then one trade. I don't know. A trade's hard, but uh 
Uh, you got you to know who's on the market. But give me some sort of linebacker, speedy linebacker. Uh, you mean like uh, Deion Jones on the Falcons, something like that. So they want to trade him. I want a speedy, speedy linebacker, a guy who can cover, a guy who's almost like a safety, but he's playing linebacker. That's what I want. Because then all of a sudden, my defense might be decent. Two pass rushers and a speedy linebacker who can cover, all of a sudden defense has a different look and a different feel. Now, you can't sit there and pretend like the Giants are going to be Super Bowl contenders because that's not happening. It's going to take time to rebuild this team. And I know some people will be like, you didn't say offensive line, you didn't mention offensive line, and I know. And yes, I would love to get offensive linemen. But I also think that the move for the Giants is to draft an offensive tackle and develop him. Doesn't necessarily mean he has to play next year, right? Look at the Eagles. Andre Dillard, first round pick. Okay? But even though he's a first round pick, he wasn't, he's not really starting this year. I think he's got some playing time, but that's because of injuries. But in an ideal world, it's going to take you time, not in an ideal world, but in just reality, it's going to take you time to that offensive lineman to develop. So you draft one in the second, third, fourth round. You get that tackle. You let him develop for a year or so, and next year he becomes your starter. And you have to roll with Nate Solder for one more year and find something to do at right tackle. It's not going to be ideal. But you can find a stopgap there, like they did with Mike Remmers. Not great, not awful, but serviceable at least for the year. On to the next one. All right, let's wrap up this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm going to give you a little Jordan on the beat, where I give you a little taste of what it's like to be a Giants reporter, really an NFL reporter in general. This is actually going to be specific to the Giants. Then I'll give you a prediction on Giants-Dolphins because, yes, they actually play a game this week, an absolute thriller between the Giants and the Dolphins. How about this? The Giants are favored this week. And this is kind of rolls into my Jordan on a beat where I tell you what it's like to be a reporter. It is depressing. It's hard when you're covering a team that's this bad because – no, you don't want to go into the locker room. Nobody wants to go into locker rooms every day and ask guys, hey, why do you suck? I mean, that's essentially what you're doing, right? I mean, why did you lose again? How does it feel to lose? How does it feel to not know how to win? You know, and this is when you get guys that, that eventually get upset with it. I mean, it, it's just it's just an uncomfortable situation. Nobody wants to do that every day. And that's why you, you see me joke and be sarcastic a lot because – what are you going to do? You're going to go roll into these situations every day, be depressed and down, and you know talk to guys like somebody just died. Like They can't operate that way for their own sanity. I can't operate that way for my own sanity. And so you kind of have to turn the page and joke around and be optimistic and make the best of the situation. I mean, I'm going to go in and, and say, Saquon, why don't you look like yourself again today? For the seventh game in a row. I mean, you, you you keep doing that. You're poking at the bear, right? You're just poking at the bear, poking at the bear, poking at the bear. So while we don't, as a reporter, you're not rooting for wins and losses. You don't really care either way, right? You're supposed to be impartial. But at the same time, you don't want your team to stink because you're they become irrelevant. I mean, that's the reality. The, the worse the team is, the fewer people that are engaged 
the fewer people that are then paying attention to you. The less television is someone who works for ESPN. I do because if you think about it, unless it's a total train wreck, like they're talking about the teams that are making the playoffs. They're talking about Lamar Jackson right now. They're talking about things that excite people. The Green Bay Packers being good. The San Francisco 49ers are hot. The Patriots are always intriguing. Their problems plus they're good. Like that's a good story. Now, when the poop hits the fan, yes, you become relevant, but that's a fleeting second. So in reality, you would like the team you cover to be relevant and good. And just because they're the New York team, it, yes, it does make them a little more relevant, the Giants. Like they're more relevant than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? They have a bigger fan base. They have more fans. And the Giants fan base is still solid no matter what. There's still going to be people that follow and read. But – there's such a big contingent. This holds for every team. But for the Giants, they're in a major market. And there's so many fringe fans that when, when they're good, they're totally engaged and they're totally interested. But when they're bad and when they're this bad and when they're this bad for so long, those people, they're gone. They're invested in other things on Sundays. Their own fantasy team, gambling, not football stuff. But that's where we are because that Giants now, we're on, what, seven years, six out of seven years of being terrible, really. I mean, think about it. They've pretty much been mathematically eliminated from the playoffs five of the last six years. By Thanksgiving, that's a quarter of the season where then you're just kind of playing out the string and... I saw somebody criticized recently. They said something or they said to me, you know, you don't, you don't concentrate. You don't even ask questions about the games. Because when things get bad, people aren't don't care as much about the game on a regular basis. Do you really want to know right now about how the Giants offense matches up in the run game against the Miami Dolphins defense? I mean, that's not what people generally want to know. The number one question I get asked is they're firing Shermer. They're firing Gettleman. Who are they getting rid of? Who are they drafting? So when you get this bad and you're in this rut and it's over and over and over again, you have to then, as somebody in my job, move it forward and start talking about the future. Because that's what people want to talk about. Big picture. Future. They don't want to sit there and break down the, the eight straight loss of, okay, their offensive line still stinks. Why does it stink for the seventh straight week? Nobody wants to hear that. And so that's the spot you're I'm in right now as the Giants reporter. And you make the best of it, but at some point you do kind of hope it turns around. I mean, I'd like to be covering Super Bowl winners. I joke actually with my buddy. I have a buddy who covers the uh, – a couple of buddies who cover the Patriots. You cover the Patriots, your job goes till mid-February every year in regards to covering games. You, co- you, you cover the Giants, your, your job is over by November. You're, you're done covering actual games. Now, granted, I covered the games. It's a, it's a joke. Uh, but you you get the point. So the, the game, actual game, becomes less important. So, with that being said, let's make a prediction on the game this week. Giants-Dolphins with Giants-Redskins on deck. Who's excited? Followed by another brilliant Giants-Eagles game in Week 17. If the Eagles lose to the Cowboys, too. Woo! That game is going to stink, too. So, we'll have a... A nice, terrible five-game stretch or four-game stretch to finish out the season there. That would be brutal. 
I'm going, how about this? The Giants, favorites this week. Last check, three and a half point favorites. I'm picking them to cover. Can't tell you. I haven't done that very often, although I did like the Giants nine and a half this last week. But in general, Giants cover hasn't happened very often this year. Giants to win in cover definitely hasn't happened. Right? I mean, they haven't, they've been, they haven't been favored since what week four? When they beat the, the, uh, were they favored against the Cardinals? Maybe they were favored against the Cardinals too. And they lost that game. But they were favored against the Redskins week four, I believe. But Giants 22-16 over the Dolphins. Eli Manning, yes, I do believe Eli Manning probably will play this week. I think that's the likely scenario of how this plays out. You give Daniel Jones another week. You give Eli his home game. Clean your hands. Works well for everybody. So Eli plays all right. A little up and down here and there. Lots of three and outs, but some good sparkle plays. I think that's what you get with him when you can protect him. And everything's perfect and on schedule. And he can read it at the line. He could still make some plays. Otherwise, it's going to go bad. So it'll be good stretches, bad stretches. This is an awful Dolphins defense, too, by the way. Uh, so Giants 22, Dolphins 16. Buckle up. An absolute thriller on Sunday at MetLife Stadium. No, not really. But anyway, they do still have to play the games. And it's going to be actually a big game in regards to draft uh, positioning these next two weeks. Really big games in regards to draft positioning. So I know there's people out there that are going to say, oh, we, I need, the Giants should lose. They need to lose. They need to lose. Well, I think they win this week. And that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, send me your questions. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, email. You know where to reach me. You know where to find me. And subscribe to this podcast. Everyone who's listening right now, if you haven't done it already, make sure you get out there and give it a good review. We need you. I need you. Keep us going. Come on. Or even if you don't like it, tell me why not. I'm always welcome for open feedback. Actually, someone even actually sent me a suggestion. I forget. I don't have it popped up right now. But uh, it's something along the lines of do a segment called, like, you know, basically I'm completely making a summary of what his exact words were. But how about a segment of, like, something positive each week? Like, you know, like, give me something positive each week for the Giants, which which I get. And I kind of like it. And maybe it will be something I do. I mean, granted, the season's almost over, so the negativity can, can stop hopefully soon because they're not losing every week. But, hey, I take all suggestions. Bring them on. Again, this is Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time. <laughs>